And Dylan was not a software developer. He did not go to soft to school for being a software developer. He literally self-taught himself partially with full stack Python, but many other resources. He just coded a ton and he got to the point where he understood deep learning, he understood software development and was able to found his own tech startup uh, with the software wow. that he wrote. All right. So we are recording. I have on Matthew Mackay. He is the creator of fullstackpython.com, a resource for Python developers. He has a long history in the developer space. Uh, most recently, he was a evangelist manager at Twilio, and he's here today to give us some insight on how you can get into development and why he started working on those projects. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So jumping right into it, the first question is, uh, what are you working on right now that you're most excited about? Yeah, sure. So I'm actually, I'm still with Twilio, and I'm working on a new uh, team that we, uh, and a new initiative, we uh, actually started last year where we um, have external developers, uh, people who are not working for Twilio, contribute, uh, let's say you write a bunch of code uh, and you want to write a blog post, mm -hmm. you can have that uh, published on the Twilio blog. So it'll go through some sort of, uh, it'll go through a voice review, a tech review to make sure it's your best work. It'll get published on Twilio blog and then we pay people $500 for each published post. Um, the whole idea really is that we promote a developer's work to the entire developer community okay. um, and it allows people to get more um, maybe accolades, uh, but really just sort of a little bit more publicity from other developers, respect from their developer peers. Um, so it's a program called Twilio Voices mm -hmm. and uh, you can go to twiliovoices.com and that's actually the program that I'm currently running, uh, which uh, helps developers get their, their code and their uh, posts on Twilio one. Okay. So based on, you know, that you guys are paying them and it goes through a review, is this something where if, if a developer can actually get on your blog, it's, it's almost like something they're going to put on their resume because of the, you know, the, the, is it very stringent, the guidelines to get onto the blog or how's that viewed in the rest of the developer community? Sure. So, um, certainly some developers, they, Actually, I've had developers who've uh, who published posts uh, because they had upcoming conference talks that they wanted to say, hey, I, I have a conference talk on a topic that I also published on the Twilio blog. Like, I don't work for Twilio. I published on the Twilio blog. Mm -hmm. um, and they were really excited because they felt like that added a little bit more credibility um, mm -hmm. than just publishing on their personal blog. And also, we helped to promote it out through all of the channels, you know, social channels and email newsletters and things like that that uh, Twilio has. Um, and so... Uh, that's, I mean, that's kind of the gist is like mm -hmm. people want more credibility behind the work that they've done. And although certainly we want the, you know, the best uh, work to be published on the Twilio blog, the voice and the tech review process are more to make sure that it's your best work possible. So no gra grammatical errors, no spelling errors, um, making sure that it's uh, concise, clear explanations uh, and that the code works and that it is something that any reasonable, uh, any reasonable experience level developer, say like one or two years experience can, can, uh, execute. Um, and then that is basically the criteria that we use to get things published. Thank you. Okay. So let's see. So the next question that I had is mostly about your background. Um, it looks like you have, have done quite a bit of different work. Uh, I saw you were in, I think it was an analyst, uh, are an intern for Freddie Mac. Uh, and then you were, you worked in a number of consulting roles. You worked with the FBI. 
uh, worked at Buzon Hamilton, uh, all this prior to starting in Twilio. So I'm kind of wondering how you ended up at Twilio, you know, what was the path, uh, what were some of the highlights and the jobs where you learned the most throughout your career? Cool. Yeah. Well, so all, throughout broad the, question. I know. Yeah, no, but throughout all those roles, regardless of the title, like I've been a software developer. So I've been a software developer from intern all the way up to tech lead mm-hmm. uh, for many different projects, um, whether it's consulting or a staff role at a company, um, all related to writing code. And I still write code every single day. So, uh, you know, there may be weird, fancy titles, Silicon Valley titles, but it all revolves yeah. around uh, code and, <laughs> and being a software developer. Yeah, um, I, have, yeah. I have Tmux and Vim up on my other screen right now. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so, so as far as joining Twilio, mm-hmm. uh, and for those who don't know, Twilio makes it easy for software developers to add communications like phone calling, messaging, and video into their applications. Um, so, you know, if you're logging into your a really strange example or sort of unknown example, less known example would be like, let's say you're logging into your Twitch account, yeah. you secure your Twitch account, mm-hmm. well, there's two-factor authentication, that all goes through Twilio. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that, well, if you get a phone call, automated phone call, um, most of those things go through Twilio, especially when, and developers can add that into their applications using the, the programming languages and the web frameworks or the frameworks that they already know. Um, and so I, I came across Twilio uh, actually through a blog post that was on Hacker News, so Web okay. Combinator Hacker News. Yep. Uh, and I started using it after that, just like super early days, like around like 2000, well, not super early days, but the company was founded in 2009. I discovered them around 2011, 2012, mm-hmm. started using them just for some simple projects. And then when I, uh, I created my own project where I road tripped the country for five straight months. Okay. Uh, so I went to 30 different cities around the U S and I basically yeah. just said, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna like email like software developers and tech startups and be like, Hey, what's it like being a software developer in Memphis? Can I like buy you like coffee? Can I buy you lunch or whatever? And just kind of see, like I've yeah. been very East coast focused and I wanted okay. to see what it was like elsewhere in the country. Mm. Uh, and that was really fascinating. And when I was uh, in a coffee shop doing uh, some, I was doing software development uh, remote remotely at that time yep. on some consulting projects. I was like in a coffee shop in Austin, Texas, and I heard the people at the table next to me talking about Ruby on Rails, mm-hmm. and um, I was like, "Hey, talking about coding." <laughs> and <laughs> it turned out people. to be like a, a Twilio developer evangelist. Oh, so I started okay. talking, and I met all these Twilio people along the way. Like this is their headquarters uh, when I was in San Francisco, and after I finished my road trip, they were like, "Hey, would you consider you know?" interviewing to be a developer evangelist in Washington, D.C. So that's uh, how I ended up joining uh, joining Twilio. Oh, wow. That's quite a story. Uh, so how did you, so what, I guess what made you want to do the road trip? Was it just a combination of, you know, I want to get out and do something different or were you actually like, I'm going to figure out what I want to do next by just talking to a ton of people? Uh, well, I knew, I never have like been like, oh, I, I don't know what I want to do next because I love software development. I love coding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like something I've done for a really long time and it's always going to be something that I would do professionally. Um, uh, it was really more of like, Hey, I'm super East coast centric and I really would like to know what it's like elsewhere. Like, yes. What is it like to start a tech startup in Memphis, Tennessee or Kansas yeah. city or Chicago yeah. or, um, or Silicon Valley? Like, Never been know, there, it's, yeah. 
Yeah. Like I had never been to San Francisco. I'd never been to California before. And I was like, Oh, like at all, even just a visit. No, never. Oh my gosh. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta like get out there. And the best way I felt like to do it was to like hop in my car Mm. and just drive and spend a few days in each city, like 30 different cities Mm. and um, just meet a bunch of people. And it was awesome because I would just talk to them about software development. So I had this common uh, topic of conversation. And then a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, you talk about other stuff, like what is it like to live in that city? Um, yeah. So it was a really great way to meet a lot of people and also uh, in, a, in a really natural way, because, mm-hmm. you know, software developers like to, uh, many software developers write blogs. So I'd come across a blog post that'd be like an awesome Python blog post. And I'd be like, yeah. this is an awesome blog post. Email the author and be like, hey, I'm going to be in your city in a few weeks. Yeah. yeah. Buy you coffee. And I'm yeah. like, sure. So that's basically how the whole thing um, got set up. And it was more just um, so that I could get out of my own little bubble yeah. and yeah. Uh, learn what other people were working on. And uh, it worked out really great. I uh, had started Full Stack Python a while before I uh, went on my road trip, but it was really helpful for me to understand kind of what people wished was out there as far as documentation. Yep. Um, so that that was kind of an unintended side uh, benefit to going on the, the trip. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And that's a good, that's a good segue into, into your site. So for everyone that doesn't know, fullstackpython.com is uh, just a monster of a resource on Python. Uh, this is how I originally uh, came to know Matt, Matt's work is, uh, I just was a little bit blown away that this blog appeared to be primarily written by one developer, uh, Matt, Matthew. So uh, how did you get the idea for this? Like, how did you know that this would be worthwhile? And then how, like, how did you just, I just can't imagine the amount of hours that were put in this blog. How did it get to this point? Sure. So Unbelievable. I've crossed the 125,000 words mark. <laughs> like most novels I think are like 50 to 60,000 words. So yeah. I actually created a PDF of it. Uh, with like reasonable size font. It's like already 350 pages. Mm-hmm. I actually estimate the full stack Python is about 30% done. So I've been working on it for five, over five years and it's yeah. about 30% done. So I really yeah. got to, I got to really hustle and, and get more work done on it. Uh, but essentially it is a, uh, just for a little context, uh, you already know, but it's mm-hmm. a, a full stack Python is an open source book uh, that is for developers to learn how to build uh, deploy and operate uh, Python applications. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I cover typically the, the high level concepts. So I try to explain everything in plain English. So if you don't know what a whiskey server is, like, a, you know, you're, you're a software developer and someone's like, Hey, you're building a Python application. You should use a, you know, a whiskey server. And you're like, I have no idea what that yeah. is. Like, yeah. So you Google it. And what I wanted was a plain language explanation of a whiskey server, mm-hmm. a web server gateway interface. What exactly does it do? Why is it something in the Python ecosystem? And so I just tried to create that on all these different topics that I felt like were fairly confusing when I was getting started with Python in um, 2007, 2008. So I've been Mm -hmm. programming in Python for about 10 years. Before that, I was a a Java developer, primarily Java um, developer. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually a big chunk of how full stack Python came about was like, I had a bunch of, I had a Python consulting practice and, and a bunch of the junior developers were like, I don't understand like such and such topic and I, you know, take all this time to like explain to them what that topic was. And then like the next developer would come in and be like, and the same topic. And I'm like, Oh boy, like I'm never going to be able to scale this (laughs) unless I write it down. So that's basically how I got started. Just like, it was the motivation to be like, it was like, 
it wasn't the time that I was right, spending writing. It was the yeah. time that I was saving every single time I would send a link to the site to, to a new developer that was working yeah. on that topic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, and you, the way you say that it's written in plain English is, um, yeah, that's, it's really impressive. Cause that, like I said, that's how I found your blog. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever used, you know, Python. I was just looking for a resource on some function and uh, yours was one of the only ones, you know, I probably flipped through five or six resources and that's why it's the only one that I know off the top of my head. Um, you know, and to put it in plain English like that, I feel like is like maybe in your case, because of your level of familiarity with the language, it doesn't take this much thought, but it seems to me like anytime you take a highly technical language and make it very high level, uh, English, you know, a very high level English explanation, it seems like there's a lot of translation work. Like this blog must've taken like tons of thought. This is a serious passion project. So that's kind of how I'm wondering. That's kind of why I'm wondering, how did you develop this kind of work ethic where you could put so much time into something for five years that seems like a passion project while having like an extremely successful developer career? Like you're not, you don't, it doesn't seem like you've been like a guy sitting around on your couch working on full stack <laughs> Python. So how did you get that level of work capacity? Sure. So when I graduated from college, I never like, I graduated like in May of 2005 and then I immediately, I was like, before I even graduated, I was accepted to grad school, but I yeah. to Virginia Tech for my master's in computer science. And yeah. I immediately basically started taking classes in August. So I had like two months where I was starting <laughs> a new job and I never got used to what is it like to have a free weekend? Like I just never, never understood did. the concept of like a free weekend or free evenings or anything like that. And that like can actually be very unhealthy in some ways. But I didn't really, I didn't really develop that until later, but I basically just said like, I'm going to pour my effort into getting these. I did two master's degrees while working full time. Yep, uh, yep. One, my first one at Virginia tech, which is in computer science and the second mm -hmm. one um, uh, at, at EVA yeah. University of Virginia. Um, and so you know, basically I came out of that. I'd done five years of full-time work and five years of either part-time or full-time grad school. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I guess like, I don't know. I, I love software development. Like <laughs> I might as well just like start, I was like, yeah, I'll just start like blogging or something. And yeah. <laughs> actually I started blogging because, because I was, uh, I was like writing, I was like writing code and I'd be like, I'd solve a problem. And then like invariably I'd like run into the same problem like six months later. And I'm like, I don't remember how I solved that. I'd spend yeah. like a day relearning what I had figured out like a yeah. few months ago. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm just going to like literally copy and paste and like put this in a blog post and kind of explain it with some notes. So yeah. I can understand it. Anybody can kind of understand it. Cause if you solve something today and six yeah. months, you have the same problem. Yeah. Like if it's a really technical problem, you're probably, you're, you are the same as some new person who's never solved that, that problem before. You just yeah. remember. Yeah. That far in, um, yeah, in the future. Yeah. So I started doing that and I, I like, kind of just blogged the technical blog for like a couple of years. And then, yeah. And then basically full stack Python basically just kind of, uh, I started working on that and it saved me a ton of time because I was able to uh, explain things to developers I was working with without it taking me a ton of time. Um, yeah. So that was basically how it, it kind of was a little bit, I would say just by chance. Hmm. And then I've kept working on it because it has, um, it, it has provided me a ton of opportunities to experiment um, at scale with problems that, 
developer tooling companies like Twilio run into. Mm -hmm. So now I'm at the point where I basically work for a fantastic developer tools company. I invest in developer tools company and advise a an awesome VC, VC firm in San Francisco on investing in developer tools companies. Mm -hmm. like I'm always looking at developer tooling. Um, and full stack Python allows me to experiment with these things. Yeah. Uh, uh, so like a lot of stuff that we've done at Twilio is actually like it started on full stack. <laughs> and I just like said, yeah. I would say like, I would That's say awesome. like we're running into a problem and I'd be like, Oh, well I tried such and such on full stack Python. Like, yeah, maybe like, who knows? Yeah. And I would yeah. never get that. I would never get that knowledge without trying it in a relatively safe environment. Like if full stack, yeah. full stack Python basically never goes down because it's a static site, yeah. but if it did go down, it's not the end of the world. Like I don't yeah. ever want it to go down, but if it did, uh, I've been hit by like, AWS wide outages before, but otherwise it's never down. And yeah. so it's not like mission critical. Like if you can't read a blog post on full stack Python, like it would have been, you know, that kind of sucks, but it's not like, it's not, like, not going to end. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a company is you know, not going to fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one's really like, you know, what life and limb are not at stake. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically like, I don't, I, I would say it's a little, I actually I think while certainly part of it is maybe like a work ethic, I think a bigger part is um, two two things. Number one, I work on it every single day. Mm -hmm. Even if I like paste a link in there and I just write a sentence, yep. or I revise a sentence. And I think when you, uh, let's say you have a really busy week and you do one thing each day, even if it's yeah. for five minutes, all of a sudden at the end of the week, you're like, oh, I accomplished like a lot. Something, like, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, like I really, really did a lot. Uh, so you keep the momentum. Uh, so that's the first thing I think is really yeah. important. And the second thing is just kind of having um, like an environment where uh, it's related to your, it makes you feel like you're better at your job. So mm -hmm. if you work on a project that is not the same as your job, it doesn't compete with your job, but it's like tangentially related. It's like something that like, you know, could be used at some point that's related to your job. Like, you know, understand, you know, being a better software developer is definitely yeah, part related. of the job, but yeah. it is not, it's not like full stack Python competes in any way with Twilio. Like that doesn't make sense, yeah. but it makes, but there's certain things we do at Twilio uh, that I understand better because I'm a better software developer because I've written full stack Python and I continue to work on it. So yeah. And you can draw from all the resources you built up. Yeah. So it provides you motivation because when you mm -hmm. are better, suddenly you are really good at your job because of something that was like kind of you did on the side, uh, that's a really great feeling. It provides you additional motivation. So I think those two things, the additional motivation by having something related to your job. And the second thing is just working on it every single day. Uh, even if you're tired, even if you're hungover, even if you're, I don't know, <laughs> if you're having yeah. the worst day of your life, you're just like, I'm just going to sit down for two seconds and do something. It really matters. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree with that philosophy. I'm kind of wondering, is that something that you consciously said, well, is that something you do with every project or is that just a habit you, you develop unconsciously just every day? Well, I think that kind of gets into the, the other thing, which is you got to pick your battles. So okay. full stack Python is really important to me. I typically have one other side project going at a time, but I never will have a dozen side projects. Yes. So right now I'm working on, um, a new video course. Uh, my previous video course that I did with Michael Kennedy, uh, he uh, 
hosts and produces Talk Python to me. Awesome, yep. awesome Python podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, we did yeah. a course together called Python for Entrepreneurs, a video mm-hmm. course. Had a ton of fun with it. Now I'm doing a course on Ansible, uh, which is a configuration management tool for uh, doing deployments, managing your infrastructure, configuring servers uh, in a infrastructure as a code way um i'm doing a video course on introduction to ansible writing a book on introduction to ansible um and so like that'll be my thing that's kind of related to full stack python but it's like in addition to it yeah like it's actually a separate project like i i wouldn't take on anything more than that like that would be too much yeah Um, yeah you you just you just like lose focus because you don't have enough time in the day even if you try to work on it every day yeah no, that totally, that totally makes sense. I mean, even for things that are related. Yeah. Um, if someone's just beginning to like, did you even, cause you're saying you only work on two or three, I'm guessing that you, you know, probably even had to work up to that. I mean, when you were starting, you were, you said you were only doing school and work, right? Yeah. I mean, you just have to recognize like how, how much you're doing, like, yeah. and, uh, you know, I think like you just have to prioritize, like my priorities are, uh, you know, gotta, there's certain things I try to do every day. I try to go to the gym and I try to go to, uh, you know, obviously get to work almost every day. Uh, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta do some side project stuff. I got a family, yeah. like, um, and so you have to be realistic about your other commitments. Uh, you know, there's yeah. certain trade-offs. Like I don't do a lot of volunteer work. Uh, I yeah. do a lot of community work. Um, you know, those are the trade-offs that I've kind of made and, um, maybe that's not, that's definitely not the right mix for everybody, but that yeah. is kind of where my sweet spot is as a person. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It seems like it's working. Um, so you mentioned, you mentioned there's some things that you would try uh, on your blog, full stack Python that you can't necessarily start out trying on the Twilio blog. Um, this conversation can go over my head very quickly, but could you give an example for the people that will definitely understand what, what an example of something that, would be that you try on your blog, maybe not start out on the Twilio blog? Uh, yeah, sure. So I don't intentionally, well, I'll just, I'll caveat this with like saying like, I don't intentionally try stuff on full stack Python because I want to try, I, I would prefer to try it on like Twilio. Like yeah. it's usually just like a haphazard thing. Yes. I mean, and it's like, I'm, I'm talking like simple. Like I'll give them like the simplest example. Okay. Like uh, <laughs> I put a little, like when you go on full stack Python, a few pages have a little like green bar at the top. Yeah. And I just have some text and it'll yeah. be like, Hey, I did this like Python entrepreneurs. I saw that one. Thing. I saw that green bar. You know? I clicked it. It's yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so like I got metrics to see mm-hmm. how many people click on that. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, and just knowing those metrics, like when we were running uh, signal, which is Twilio's conference developer conference, mm-hmm. uh, we were trying to sell tickets and I was like, well, here's the approximate metrics I got <laughs> sort of a similar situation. Yeah. And if we put this on our documentation, yeah, um, I think, you know, we should try this and I think it, it might work and, might and work. like, lo and behold, it actually kind of works. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's like a stupid, simple example of yeah. like, I tried something out and I got some basic data and that basic data allowed me to, uh, you know, say like, I think this is something that we should try yeah. uh, in a more professional uh, environment. Uh, the stakes are higher for a company like, you know, Twilio's like, I don't, I don't know our exact numbers, but we're over a thousand people now. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, the stakes are much higher for a business of that magnitude than they are for my little 
side projects. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. But that's uh yeah. Thank you. No, that's a perfect example. Cause definitely still in my realm. So that's nice. Uh, okay. So also, uh, the one other thing I will say that I think is kind of cool. Like yeah. my coworkers told me about, I didn't know this. It actually kind of sometimes works the other way. Uh, so our web development team wants to make sure our site is fast because everybody likes using a really fast website. Yeah. So they benchmark, uh, the Twilio site against full stack. <laughs> Uh, because okay. because because they they did like a bunch of they wrote a bunch of like performance testing uh, tools and they yeah. used a bunch of performance testing tools and they found that like uh, every like they would measure websites on a score of like one to a hundred yeah uh, hundred being the fastest and they did it against full stack python and it was like ninety nine out of a hundred yeah uh, I was really mad I didn't get a hundred out of hundred <laughs> and they were like they were like they were basically like this is where we want to get. Twilio? It's it's yeah like it's how is that even how is that even possible though? Because you said like Python is a static site, right? I mean, like it's super clean, static. Yeah, I mean, uh, was it? it's not it's not technically. I don't think it yeah. technically is possible because yeah. like full stack Python doesn't have a database backend. It's really just a. Uh, static site that's generated by a static site generator called Pelican. And then yeah. uh, the site is all HTML, CSS, and well, all HTML files on and, and images on Amazon S3. And then it's globally distributed through a content delivery network called Cloudflare. So yeah, that is sounds, like sounds the, pretty most, lean. <laughs> the most optimal yeah. setup, but it mm. shows like it's, it's, it's a fun benchmark to go against if you're trying to make your site fast because it yeah. is literally like the optimal situation for a website. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I'm guessing that was, that was purposeful on your part just for fun. Oh, like the, the, like, I don't know. I think the web development team, like they just told me like after they had been doing it for mm-hmm. a while and they're like, Oh, I meant how you set up full stack Python. Like you set it up oh, that way. Yeah. Well, I was using static site generators for a while and I okay. thought they were pretty sweet. So I was like, if you have an actual web application, like database and a server and everything, like it can go down and like, that's annoying. So if you just have a static site, it really can't go down unless AWS, like Amazon Web Services, go down. Yeah, the whole the whole thing. Usually happens. <laughs> the internet shuts off. In which off. case, I have some settings on Cloudflare that prevent that from actually being a problem. But yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I could no, I, I love I love the setup. I mean, that's another <laughs> that's another reason I recommend it. It really is like a book online. You know, you're My, used to like the blogs with a million plugins and like whatever. My goal uh, is. Uh, so every page should be super lean on full stack Python, which mm. and load fast. But what does load fast mean? I want it to load less than hundred milliseconds uh, on a 2G connection. And yeah. that's important to me because I get emails from people in third world countries, in you know, African countries yeah. that have basically no hardwired connections like we do in the States. Mm-hmm. They've got like a cell phone with a 2G connection and they email me and they're like, I love reading full stack Python. It's so fast. And I'm like, yeah. that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. makes my day. That is when awesome. I, when I hear that anybody can read it. So yeah. like that is super, super important to me that every single developer out there gets the opportunity to, to read full stack Python. And it's, yeah. It doesn't take them, you know, 10, 15 seconds to load a page. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're probably responsible for a large percentage of the Python education in in third world countries. So (laughs) I feel like, you know, your community service box has been checked. Um, (laughs) That's man. That's awesome. No, that site is, I do recommend it to everyone. Um, Okay. Well, we talked about the Python for entrepreneurs course. Um, 
I'm not, I know you, you were co-authored that course. So I guess we could talk about that a little bit because I actually wanted to do it. Didn't get to do it on my spring break, but I'm going to, what, what, what is the, the biggest benefit for that course for someone who's maybe never tried to build a business or a web app? Like what did you guys want? Like the vision for it? Yeah. So the vision was, uh, it seems kind of crazy, but still today, uh, in 2017, 2018, that people are like, I don't really know how to code or I've kind of tried to teach myself a little bit how to code, but I have no idea how to take this idea that I have. I'm not a developer. I need to hire a developer to like build something for me. And like I software development is a very complicated, hard to learn topic. There's no doubt that there's no real shortcuts, Mm -hmm. but there should be some sort of path that anybody who is very motivated can take to take their idea in their head, not have to go find a developer. They can do it themselves. And that was like really the vision behind Python for entrepreneurs. If someone is highly motivated, they want to start their own internet business, or they want to just build an application that they think is going to matter, uh, you know, to themselves, to a nonprofit, to anyone, Mm -hmm. um, they should be able to take this course. It's like 20 hours of content, which, uh, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch any of these yet, but like, I have no excuse now. <laughs> it's very dense. Yeah. I, mean, I, I have, you know, it is not easy. Yeah. Uh, it's a dense material. Like we pack as much information as possible. There's no filler content in there. And Michael's done a fantastic job with, you know, he actually did a lot more. The, I'd say he did like two thirds of the content mm-hmm. and I did a third of it. And, um, but really if someone is a very motivated person, they should be able to go and actually execute and build a comp like a comp what is a complicated web application that will do what they want um and and that is um something that we didn't feel like really existed it was like if someone was not a developer and they wanted to build something uh then the answer always was like here's like 20 things that you need to read in combination and connect the dots between them uh if you actually want to go and build something and a lot of it is like not always developer specific topics like yes there is the you know html and css and python backend and integrating apis uh and deploying your application but there's also things like search engine optimization there's like email marketing yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you do, like, how do you do that stuff? Like, how do you, you know, how do you do yeah. marketing in general to your, and you guys included all that in the course. Yeah. All that's like part of the content and it's, mm. uh, you know, so, so it's like all there together. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that's, that's really the vision. And I think we, I think, um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm actually really proud of like how it all came together. Although it was, it was a lot more <laughs> work than we, uh, you know, 20 hours of like, dense material it's yeah. like it takes a long time to read so it's yeah it was a long haul yeah no i can't imagine trying to write like yeah any any of that that's all your stuff is is like that very concise you know actually there's no fluff basically how long do you think it did take you if you had to if you had to put an estimate on it for that 20 hours of content you said it's dense content like what do you think it actually took you guys yeah, so I, I really can't speak to Michael. Michael actually does uh, talk Python to me in his video courses as his full time job. Um, yep. For me, you know, we had, we had been talking about it for probably we, we we started talking about it like in early 2017, uh, early 20 no 2016 I think. Oh wow. We really got serious about it in the spring. We did a Kickstarter, uh, which was an awesome experience. Uh, we did a Kickstarter, well, really well-funded Kickstarter for pre-orders and things. Mm-hmm. And then we, in earnest, really started knocking out the content probably like in 
September, October of 2016. And then we finished it by April of 2017. Most of it was finished by like January. Yeah. Um, but uh, like with my full-time job, like it was tough to like really, like I basically just would like hunker down for an entire weekend and work like, like a, like a madman for like eight, 10 hours, like producing video content and, uh, and just like, yeah, it was, it was not easy. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know a few, it was definitely like a few months of like some really tough, like late nights and weekends. Yeah. Um, but I think Michael, I don't want to say he had an easier time. He certainly didn't, uh, cause he was working, he had a lot more to create, Yeah. but he was able to, uh, at least use his, you know, a fresh mind uh yeah yeah Yeah, not have to no i don't i don't think i have a ballpark estimate for the number of hours i I really have no idea at this point just like a blur of insane work that's not that sounds like a lot that's that's cool though i mean i will say one thing about the python for entrepreneurs uh and full stack python is you know when you read a page or you watch a video uh i certainly have have exposure to all those topics um, and mm-hmm. worked done a ton of projects with them, but it takes a lot of effort to go from I know I know a topic to I I know how to explain it. I know how to uh, tell somebody in as plain language as possible mm-hmm. um, what that topic actually is, why it matters, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. So uh, that's really where the translation comes into play, and that takes a lot of work. Even if you already know a topic, even if you've already written like, written the code, it takes a while to explain it to other people. Yeah, no, I definitely think that's those levels of understanding are you know, orders of magnitude apart. Um, so you talk about you you mentioned that you know it's 2017, 2018. You know people should be able to build something if they want to you know start a company or start start sure. whatever. What would you say? What, what would you say to people that feel like you know? well, I'm not going to be a software engineer professionally. There's, there's no point in learning. Oh, um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, time and time again, I see, uh, people that don't really have exposure to actually doing software development, like, Mm -hmm. and they, they have to engage with software developers. Like most businesses, (laughs) uh, you know, run software. (laughs) Most businesses have some customized software. And if you need something to be done and a developer tells you this is going to take three weeks, um, how do you know to judge whether that's actually, you know, a valid estimate or not? Um, Or maybe they, you know, it's not about second guessing developers as if developers are like used car salesmen or like, (laughs) but like having, having a constructive conversation is incredibly important. Um, I think actually like this may be like a, I don't know if this is like a controversial opinion or not, but like after having done consulting work in, especially in government, but also large bureaucratic fortune 500 organizations. um, I I actually think that like a huge amount of the inefficiency is caused by all the non-technical people who make decisions uh, and think, Oh, that'll be an easy fix. And like, don't realize like they just created four weeks worth of work. Yeah. Like that, like that is a reality in so many large organizations. Yeah. And it's like, if you at least learn software development, you learn the fundamentals of software development, you at least try it yourself, Mm -hmm. you're going to be more well-versed to either say, I don't know if that, if I can give an accurate estimate or I'm going to have a conversation, a detailed conversation with somebody who does know you're going to be more, I think more humble about it. Yeah. Um, and I think that would actually make society in general now that society has so much software in it yeah. more efficient because 
there's a lot of people who, who have never touched software before, and they are the ones who are making decisions about how software is created. And that, yeah. that doesn't like, I'm not going to go tell a brain surgeon how he should operate <laughs> someone's brain. And yeah. yet we do that all the time in software development. Yeah. Like we have people that have never touched, that have never programmed a single line of code in their life. Uh, and they are, you know, chief information officer or whatever. And they yeah. make all these decisions without any, any basis, any yeah. expertise at all. Couldn't be less informed. So, yeah. so that's what I would say to someone who's like, oh, I don't want to be a professional software developer. It's like, well, if you are going to touch software in your career, which is probably most of the population, then you should have some sort of foundation, some grasp on what's going on with it. And, and at least, you know, have some baseline level of understanding. Yeah, no, definitely. No, I, I, I would agree with you hundred percent. Um, I would agree with you hundred percent. So just to be clear and try to stir the controversy pot a little bit. So in Matt's perfect world, everyone knows how to do something with software engineering. There's nobody that's like, I don't need that. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a good, I mean, it's a good question. Yeah. I, I, I hate like blanket generalizations like that. I think yeah. that uh, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to generalize, based on what I, if you want to completely generalize based on what I'm saying, I'm saying like, yeah. if you are a professional, yeah. Uh, that has anything to do with software, yeah. Um, then yeah, you should you should have some like experience with yeah. software development, like actual like coding. Yeah, <laughs> because I found that, um, and this is like somewhat anecdotal. It's not necessarily the best sample size, but on, in my experience, the people that have uh, some level of you know been software developers or you know have some level of coding experience mm-hmm. at least have the humility to not make bold decisions that could adversely affect their organization by creating a substantial amount of work that they don't understand. Yeah. Like that is basically what I, <laughs> I that's the, the biggest general, like that's as broad yeah. as I will go with my generalization. No, definitely. Definitely. Uh, so I just have a couple more questions. I know um, I've taken up too much time already. I appreciate it. Uh, the, the first one is there's a lot of these companies coming out now that are trying to replace some of uh, the need for software engineers with drag and drop, you know, code editors. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about the role those will take? Uh, do you think they'll replace software engineers in most cases? Do you think it'll still be as valuable to learn code after more of these products are out? Yeah, sure. Well, I think that the visual software development paradigm has been going on for decades. I think that, uh, you know, using Excel or using Google sheets is a form of programming, whether you know it or not. Yes. Um, and I think that's great. Yeah. Um, I think it's great, especially when it's, it's, a. there's, you can, uh, interact with the data Mm -hmm. in a programmatic way. So, uh, like if you're just using drag and drop or whatever, and there's no way to programmatically interface with what's happening under the covers. Mm. Like that to me is kind of a red flag because then how do you, how, there's no repeatability in what you build. What happens yes. if the file gets deleted? Well, yeah. okay, then you're out of luck. Like, yeah. um, but I think in general, like having pe- more people be able to use software in easier ways is definitely like, it's a great thing for society. Um, I would just say like, it's really important for whatever piece of software is used to then be able to be extended by a software developer or someone who can interface with the data uh, and then, and do something else with it. Because a lot of the problems with large organizations aren't necessarily building new systems and they're integrating existing systems. So if you have an existing system that does not play well with others uh, and doesn't allow you to easily access, access the data that's stored on that system, 
system, like, mm-hmm. well, then your organization is going to have to spend a lot more time and money to get the data out of it, um, if it's even possible at all. So that's that's like a huge issue that um, comes up time and again on large software projects is just interfacing between systems. So if a system is drag and drop, makes it super easy for a non-developer to use, uh, that's awesome, as long as you can get your data out of there somehow. Wow, that's awesome. I feel like anyone that's trying to run an organization, especially in, like you mentioned, a big bureaucratic Fortune 500 of the government. Um, oh man, I feel like you could put on a conference for those people about this. This is this is definitely a huge. I mean, I worked in the I worked in the government for six years, so I definitely agree with all the points you brought up. Uh, my last question would be: um, Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I definitely should have? I mean, you covered you covered actually like a lot of great great stuff. Uh, um, well, uh, so, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways that you kind of go with this. I'd say, uh, one thing that I find, I don't know, let's just like pick like a random topic that I like find interesting, uh, that I kind of have an opinion about. So do you know, like, d- like developer evangelism, developer relations, we kind of like kind of talked about that mm-hmm. briefly because I ran the developer evangelist team from the West coast. Okay. Portfolio. Um, mm-hmm. and so I'm actually in Washington DC now and running a different program, but oh, nice. I used to do that. And, um, it kind of, this kind of brings up a bigger point, uh, which you alluded to in your questions, which is like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think that developer evangelism, it has developer in the title. It's not like, it should be someone who, understands and is actually a software developer yes who has some sort of software development background yes and um i think one of the questions it was around like uh you know what are the sort of career paths for software developers yes and i think no i think very few people talk about that okay like i think it's kind of just like oh you're a coder and that's it yeah. Uh, when in reality, like there's a ton of different paths you can take with your career. And I, I don't, I don't think that's been articulated that well, um, by me or anyone else in the software industry. So like, if you're a junior developer, sure, you can become a more senior developer. You can become more skilled. You can stay being a developer. It's a great, you know, make great money being a developer, but then there's all these different paths you can go on as a senior developer. You can be a developer evangelist who is very mm-hmm. well respected and speak at tech conferences and work on open source code um, and 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 do demos of uh, various products and how they can help developers. Um, you can be a consultant and um, really start your own consulting business, which I actually consider to be somewhat separate from just the practice of being um, a software developer. Mm-hmm. Um, you can start a tech startup, but one where you have the expertise into the the software uh, and not just relying on a technical co-founder. Yeah. Um, and I think actually someone who's a really great example of that. There's an awesome company um, called Assembly AI. Okay. Uh, run by a guy. It's a Y Combinator company. Um, uh, run by Dylan Fox, or it's been through Y Combinator. Dylan Fox founded Assembly AI. It's assemblyai.com. And they do uh, deep learning for yep. uh, speech to text translation transcriptions, okay. yep. which sounds like kind of like oh, doesn't Google already do that? But like, it's actually still a really hard problem. Like, if you get the problem like ninety five percent correct, it's like pretty much like a terrible solution. You have to get it like ninety nine point nine 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 percent correct. Yeah. Um, and Dylan was not a software developer. He did not go to soft to school for being a software developer. He literally self taught himself partially with full stack Python, but many other resources. He just coded a ton. And he got to the point where he understood deep learning, he understood software development, and was able to found his own tech startup 
uh, with the software wow. that he wrote and yeah. gain, you know, raise funding and all that Whoa, stuff. Yeah. He That's so like, impressive. He's like such an amazing example. And I, I actually should probably talk to him, but he's, he's I definitely will try to someone. He's a self-taught, yeah. he's a self-taught developer who was then yeah. able to take that next step in his career and say, yeah. I'm going to start my own tech startup. I don't need, I don't need a technical co-founder. I am the technical co-founder. Yeah. I am the technical founder myself. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another career path. Um, I just think that there's so many different career paths and we don't, we don't do a good job of um, shining light on them in the software industry. Um, yeah. Certainly you can be a technical project manager. Or you can be, you know, you can be, in, you can go and be a CIO and executive level, things like that. But that all, that's all based on the foundational uh, technical knowledge that you have by, from being a software developer. Something. Yeah. yeah, I don't no. know. So that's like kind of the random thing that I I think is it's pretty cool that no one really like talks. I mean, not that many people talk about. It. I'm sure there are people who talk about, it, but I hear yeah. because I feel like there should be. No, that's that's awesome. I mean, that gives me like those are so many awesome topics to go try to find people to talk to you about because uh, yeah, I mean specifically the, the founder that you mentioned, but I mean all those different career fields too. I didn't yeah I didn't know about many of those besides consulting. So I really I really appreciate that tip too. Yeah, I partially bring it up because in DC, most developers, they think that the only next step in their career is to be a project manager, and that's not true. Yeah. There's many really fulfilling career paths. I've taken one of them. That's right for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's it's not it's not a dead end once you become a very senior developer. Like, you can, There's a lot of different things you can do with that. Just 